0: We are continuing to go through the book of Mark. As I, as I said, my message is entitled, Evaluating the Heart of a Pharisee. As we've been studying through the book of Mark, the first couple chapters, there's one thing that is undeniable that you have to see and you have seen. We've talked about it a little bit, but that is this opposition to Jesus's ministry, specifically from the Jewish leaders who are called the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not like, they did not appreciate, nor did they agree with the things that Jesus was saying or doing, almost on every level and at every turn. In Mark chapter 2, they did not like it when Jesus forgave the quadriplegic man of his sins. They believed that to be blasphemy. They did not like it when Jesus went into the home of Levi and gathered around his tax collector friends. They said, why are you eating with sinners? They did not appreciate that Jesus did not require his disciples to fast twice a week like they did. And now we're looking at two more occasions where they were upset and they believed that Jesus did not honor the, the law of the Sabbath. And really it was their own law that they, that they had but all of this is indicative of something greater, and that's what I want to actually look at today because we could talk about the Sabbath. We could talk about how God wants us to have rest and to replenish and to worship, and all, all of that is true, and we ought to talk about the Sabbath. But that's not what these passages are just about. You have to look underneath what is happening. Why do they have this conflict with Jesus? Why are the Pharisees constantly in conflict with our Lord? What is, what is happening? And I think it boils down to a heart problem. I think it all boils down to a heart problem because it's something we see in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New. You would remember how the Israelites were freed by God from the land of Egypt, enslaved, and as they come into the wilderness, don't you know, it doesn't take that long before they're worshiping other gods, there's a heart problem, and we see that also in the kings of Israel. It says about most of them that they did wicked or evil in the, before the eyes of the Lord. It, it was just like there was very few kings that ever lived righteously before God. They had a heart problem. Some of them started out right, but they didn't all finish very well. And we see here in the Pharisees that there's this heart problem. There's a conflict with Jesus, the Son of God, but it doesn't stop there. When you keep reading the New Testament, you find that there's, there's continued conflict. The disciples were constantly doing things that Jesus would SMH. He would shake his head. <laughs> Je- Jesus had a problem. See, I'm trying. You understand? I'm 42. I'm trying to be hip, you know, and, and I fail. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Join me, all, all of us over a certain age. But the disciples were co- trying to call fire down from heaven. You know, they were trying to do the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong people, and Jesus had to correct them constantly. And Paul's writing letters to the churches that he helped plant, and he's correcting them like all the time. I'm sure he got tired of it. I bet you Paul was like, again, he constantly had to write to people because they too were following uh, another idea. They were following not theology, they were not following Jesus, they were following an idea of what they thought they should do, and they were often wrong. And so there was correction, correction by the word, correction by the spirit. And I think what you find in all of these things that we see is there can be a heart problem, and we too, as the followers of Jesus, can be prone to do things that we ought not do, to say things that we should not say, and to be in a place that God doesn't want us to be. And so as we look at this passage, I don't just want us to focus on the Sabbath, although we'll deal with the disputes I want us to look at the heart underneath it. Why did they constantly have this conflict? What was it about them? And maybe we can see something in ourselves as we look at their heart problem. Maybe we're prone to be Pharisees ourselves. And that's what we're looking at today. Mark chapter two and verse 23, the Bible says this. And it happened that Jesus was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread or the bread of presence is what it is often called. And this was not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now pause there. I want you to picture the Pharisees enraged. I I want you to picture, when he said that, you need to picture them angry because they were. Now this is a separate scene. He entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him, the Pharisees, to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Amen. That is a good day. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. And in case you're wondering what destroy him means, it's a polite way of saying kill Jesus. That's what they went out to do. This is the word of the, of the Lord. I want to look at a couple things today. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk about who the Pharisees were. Who were the Pharisees? We we've done that a little bit, but I want to circle back around and I want to say some things that I think will help us understand who they are and why they have this disposition toward Jesus uh, and go a little bit deeper than we have before. And then we want to look at the disputes and finally evaluate their hearts so that we might also grow as, as, as we look at them and receive whatever conviction God has for us uh, today. And the first thing is, who were the Pharisees? Number one, they were the preservers and the gatekeepers of Judaism. The word Pharisee means separated ones and probably has, or has origins in the Babylonian exile. Many years before that time, uh, the Babylonian army, because of God's judgment, came into Jerusalem and the surrounding region of Israel, and they destroyed the temple, they deported many of the Jews, and they left a wandering population scattered throughout Israel. Most scholars would believe that those that remained in Israel at that time, because the temple was destroyed, they had to figure out a way to worship Yahweh. And so they developed what we now and what in Jesus' time call the synagogue. That's where the synagogue came from. And we later learned that they were the controllers or the overseers fully of, of the synagogue I- itself. But something that happened during that time is they, these people, these separated ones, made a decision to devote themselves to Yahweh fully and completely. There was another people of another land worshiping other gods who came to dominate and bring judgment on these people. And there were some that separated themselves from their worship, their ideology, their way. And they said, we're going to serve Yahweh. And so they would memorize and recite the Torah. This is why they became defenders of the law. It's because they felt this sense of obligation to be pure and to have this sense of purity where they would perpetuate that through the community and through all of Israel. And so this is, this is why they sort of had this disposition even when we read about them in Jesus' in Jesus's time. The Pharisees were responsible for the Mishnah or the oral law. We've talked about how the Bible will say the traditions. Sometimes they will, they will say the oral law. And there are occasions in the Bible where the Pharisees reference the law, but they are not talking about the Torah or the Bible. They're actually talking about the Mishnah. And it's interesting. This is why you have to study the Bible closely and wonder what is meant when that word is is spoken. But they are responsible for the oral law uh, not only being sustained, but it coming into writing. And I told you I owned one. This is actually the Mishnah. It's a pretty big book. It's a little bit bigger than the Bible, okay, if you haven't noticed that. The oral law is an additional interpretation on what the Torah, and that's just, we're talking part of the Old Testament was. That's, they're responsible for that. They're also responsible for the Babylonian Talmud, right? This is the Talmud. The Talmud is, this is in English. It wasn't originally in English, but this book is actually uh, the commentary on the oral law. So they have the Torah, they have the Mishnah, and they have the commentary on the Mishnah. I just want you to see it, okay? I have these and if you're interested in reading these, trust me, knock yourself out. They're very complicated and hard to read. I try. I do. And they're all translated from from other languages and and they're not they're not easy on the eyes. I'm telling you. If you're having a hard time sleeping at night, you might want to try reading up on the Sabbath in the Mishnah. You get to about number 36 and you're out. You're just you're just exhausted by religion at, at that point. But this helps us understand a little bit about them. They also, number two, they're, they're the largest Jewish religious group during the New Testament times. There were other groups that were sizable, like the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Zealots, the Essenes, the Sicarii, but there was about 6,000 Pharisees during Jesus's day. Nicodemus in John 3 was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul, before he was converted, was a Pharisee. They are referenced 98 times in the New Testament, almost entirely in the four gospel accounts. They were also, number three, the controllers of the synagogue. What was the synagogue? It is the center of religious life for Jewish people. The word synagogue means to gather together. Now, one difference between Sadducees and Pharisees Sadducees were rulers of the temple, the the Pharisees were rulers of the synagogue. And they didn't have full agreement, but they obviously, all of the religious leaders of that day, most of them at least, came together to conspire against Jesus. And finally, they were the harshest critics of Jesus' ministry. From Mark chapter 2 to 3, there, there are five conflicts that Jesus has with the Pharisees. We're reading the final two that revolve around the Sabbath. Many of the reasons for these conflicts were primarily based on his direct or indirect Uh, acceptance of his identity as the Messiah. They did not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. Obviously, Jesus did accept that he was the Messiah because he was, and they had a problem with this. But you have to know this, okay? And I want you to lock this in. One of the belief systems that they had was that the Mishnah was equal to the Old Testament Bible, now, this is, this is not my thinking. This is well-established. You can look this up. But they believed that this was equal. And I want you to think about what kind of conflict, therefore, they would have. If you thought your interpretation was equal to the Torah, when Jesus did something different, when the disciples didn't live up to their expectations, you can see why they had these conflicts. Because they had accepted something that was extra-biblical as the way to understand the Bible itself. So that is part of the problem that we're dealing with. And it's with that mindset that we need to look at the two disputes that we're going to read about here regarding the Sabbath that the Pharisees had with Jesus. But before I do, let me explain the Sabbath in a very brief way. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day of rest and worship. And we see it first in Genesis chapter two and verse three. God blessed the seventh day of creation and he set it apart for rest and replenishment. It says that God rested from his works on the seventh day. In Exodus 20 and verse 8 through 11, we see the Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments where it said, keep the Sabbath day for it is holy. And there's a couple verses that talk about what that means. Specifically, do no work. Do not work on the Sabbath. Exodus 34 and verse 12 through 17 further tells us that the Sabbath was part of God's covenant with Israel and it was to be observed perpetually. You work seven days, you rest on the seventh, you do no work. The Sabbath started on Friday at sundown, it ended on Saturday at sundown, and we know that they had developed, I've said this before, but there were 39 categories of work which had massive stipulations as to what you could or could not do, whether you were somebody that would fish or somebody that worked out in the fields, they stipulated what work meant, and that's their, their conflicts that they constantly have with Jesus. So what were the conflicts? The first one was this. They believe that it's not lawful to thresh and harvest on the Sabbath. So as they're looking at Jesus and his disciples, they they don't believe that it's lawful what they're doing. Now, we agree with them because it is not lawful to thresh and harvest on the Sabbath, but they're interpreting what Jesus' disciples are doing as threshing and harvesting, and that's the problem. Now, look what it says again in verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, now stop right there. The Pharisees are there. I just, okay, these are traveling, uh, this is a traveling ministry, and the Pharisees are a traveling critique ministry, all right? And that's exactly what they are. Because as they're traveling through the grain fields, they're going from one city to another. The Pharisees are right there. You can imagine them just walking. Look at what they're doing. And I doubt this was the only critique they had. I just think it was the one that's recorded. That's my personal belief. The Pharisees were saying to him, look what they are doing. It's not lawful on the Sabbath. So they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, look, look what they're doing. Because you're the rabbi, you're the teacher, you're allowing this or you're actually advocating this. They're breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking the law, and you're okay with this. That's what, that's what they're saying here. And they believe that this is what Jesus uh, is okay with, that he's, he's a Sabbath breaker, and he's a teacher of, of that. So, so they would feel how they, how they would with this. But here's what the law really says. Exodus thirty four twenty one, You shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall, you shall rest. Listen, even during plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. So don't harvest on the Sabbath. So we agree with that. That's what the law says. Jesus agrees with that. Deuteronomy 23, 24. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. The Pharisees are taking Deuteronomy 23 and 24 four through 25, what they're saying is, is that's what the disciples are doing. They're saying the disciples in Luke's account, they would take the heads of grain and they would crush them together so they could eat them. And they're using what they're doing as a means by which you are threshing and you are harvesting. That's how minor these guys became. That is a hard issue, friends. That is not just their technical way of observing and studying and adhering to the law. That is a hard issue. They're misunderstanding what is happening because they have a wrong heart. So the disciples were not doing what they're saying that that, uh, they were doing. And Jesus responds very simply from the scriptures. He kind of avoids what they're saying. And he says, have you not read what King David did? And he responds using 1 Samuel 21. And he's talking about how David and his men were on the run from Saul. David wasn't king at that time. And David enters the tabernacle requesting food from the priests. And the food they say, we don't have any food. The only thing that we have is we have this this holy bread or the bread of presence. Now, if you're not aware of that in, in the tabernacle at that time, they would lay out every week 12 loaves of bread. It was called the bread of presence, and it would be in the presence of God. At the end of that week, they would take those loaves of bread, and the priests could eat that, and they even had to eat it in a holy place. That's how serious that they took this. And then they would put out 12 new and fresh loaves, this was for the, the, the priests to eat. When David came in there and they were hungry, the priests had no problem giving them that bread because they understood the law through what God wanted for them. They're hungry, they need something to eat. This would be an exception. That, that's what God's heart would be. They under, the priests understood God's heart, so they gave him the bread. And Jesus is using that story to say, have you guys not even, I mean, these are guys that memorized the Bible. Have you guys not even read this story? Well, they'd read the story and it was a conundrum to them, of course, because they had a lot of other stories. You see, where I, you see what I'm saying? And so he's reflecting on this and he makes a powerful statement. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath It's always lawful to do good even on the Sabbath, and that goes with the Bible's definition of good, God's definition of good. But our religious tendency is to turn something God intended for good into something burdensome. And that, when I use the term religious spirit, that's what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking. I'm not talking about good religion that James chapter 1 talks about. I'm talking about bad religion, a religious spirit. That's what it looks like right here. Now, they have another dispute, and here's here's what it is in Mark 3, 1 through 6. It's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Now, be very clear. There are no laws or extra laws in the Mishnah or the Torah about healing on the Sabbath because nobody could perform supernatural healing. They had no grid for that. So let's use the word help. Nobody can help another on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. So here's what it says in Mark 3 and verse 1. He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, I mean, never mind the fact that Jesus can heal. They're just watching to see if he's going to bring out his miraculous powers during the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. That's what they want to do. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Now, if you don't think Jesus is provocative, you need to change your mind on that. Jesus knew exactly what these guys were doing, what they were thinking and why they were there. Like that's his big thing. Like he knows the mind. He knows what's in the heart. And right in the middle of all of that, with full provocation, he says to this guy with the withered hand, get up and come forward. I want to know what the man with the withered hand was thinking. I mean, as he sort of stood up, what was he thinking? But he does that. And Jesus says this while the man's coming forward. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? He, is pro- he doesn't just do the thing. He provokes everybody there. That has a religious spirit. And this is, this is how we know that. They kept silent after looking around at them with anger. And this is the only time that Jesus was angry in, in, in record in the book of Mark. Now, in the book of Matthew, we see, and John, there are two different times where it references Jesus's anger. And that, and that has to do with how the temple is being stewarded or, or managed, which, by the way, was overseen by the priests. So the man comes forward and he says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was fully healed and restored. The Pharisees went out enraged. Immediately they begin conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might kill Jesus. So here we have a second scenario where the Pharisees are watching Jesus and his disciples and we know scribal law permits someone to help another on the Sabbath day in a life-threatening situation. That's why Jesus said what he did. Is it Is it it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? He was putting it into a category that they would understand because scribal law permits to help another on the Sabbath. And so he provokes this situation and it's, I mean, I think it enrages these people, but there is something that we have to see in, in all of this, that they were convinced of Jesus's power and they were not able to yield to anything greater as to who he might be as a result of it. They've accepted that Jesus can heal, but now they're just looking to make sure that he doesn't heal when they think he's not supposed to. That is just crazy to me. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, just think about it. If we had that in modern day, like we know this person can heal, like he can heal totally, uh, irrevocable healing, complete, total, miraculous healing, cast demons out of people. Nobody else can do any of that stuff. We accept that he can do that, but he better not do it. He better not do it when, when we think he shouldn't. That's, that's the real problem. You do not get to that place without a true, serious, religious spirit. Now, there's a couple things we have to evaluate in terms of their heart, and I, and I want to say is we've looked a little bit about why the Pharisees are the, the way that they are, and we've looked at these disputes and how they're wrong about their interpretation because of the way they see the law and the Mishnah and the commentary of the Mishnah. The way we see that, we we, we get where they are, we know they're wrong, but what about their heart drives them or keeps them in in this place? And I think we can can learn about that a bit. The first one is they had a wrong view of God. A.W. Tozer says this, he said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The Pharisees' words and actions are a window into their view of God's intention. It reveals how they believe God would act in a certain way. They're representing God. And so they think that God would think the way they do and act the way that they do. So for them, keeping the Sabbath was more important than the purpose of the Sabbath. Keeping the, the letter of the law was not about the spirit of the law to them, right? And I, I just believe, and we do, that you can, you, that you can keep the letter of the, you, you can keep what God calls you to keep, but we have to understand its purpose in order to do that. God's intention, God's heart behind it. He wants us to know that the Sabbath was not created for man, but man for the, but man for the Sabbath. I might've said it the wrong way. I don't know. But you know, you caught what I was saying. Amen. Just shake your head. Amen. Have you ever read your Bible because it's the right thing to do, but not because you wanted to grow and learn? Have you ever fasted because your church is, your church is doing it, but you weren't seeking and pressing into God? Like you just, man, my heart's not right. You know, here's the thing. Like, have you ever done the thing that you know to do, but you're not doing it for the purpose for which it was given? Come on, have you ever done that? Like if you give yourself to that and then you get to a point of, I think, religious false guilt, well, where it burdens you to a certain point, we can become like the Pharisee where we start evaluating everybody else's spirituality, which is what they did, by these rules that we create in, in our own mind that aren't based on scripture, they're based on extra biblical thoughts. They memorized the Bible and, and they thought that was more important than, than really adhering to the heart of scripture. God's intention behind his instruction is as important as the instruction itself. And this is why, I mean, I love every year we want to draw our hearts back to God. I'm saying renew 2022. I'm I'm using this to, to say we need renewal. Friends, we need renewal. We need God to renew our hearts for the word. We need God to renew our hearts for prayer. Or we will eventually, by default, become crusty religious people. And it's easy to look at the Pharisees and be like, man, these guys, these guys are harsh. These guys are critics. These guys have a religious spirit. I mean, and sort of in our mind, think I'm nothing like them. And we can be a whole lot like them. We can be a whole lot like them. In fact, I think the temptation and the tendency for people that walk with God long enough is to become like this and not even realize that we already, that we already are. They had the wrong view of God. Did you know how you see God affects everything that you do? How you see God, how you view God, how you interpret who he is and what he's like affects how you see people, it affects how you pray, it affects how you obey, it affects how you read the Bible, it affects everything, how you see God. They had a wrong view of God. Second, they had a wrong view of scripture. They accepted a belief that the oral law was equal to the Torah, and this is, this is an accepted distortion, and we often allow our own interpretations to usurp our ability to continue to learn and grow in the word. I don't care how long you've been reading the Bible. You you don't know everything you need to know. That is why we ask everybody to study and read the Bible every every day. I mean, young Jewish kids would grow up in, in Jesus' culture, and they would, in school, whatever school, some of them didn't go to school very long. Others would, uh, promising kids would go beyond that or depending on what family you were a part of. But they would memorize the first five books of the Torah. It, it what, I mean, Jewish kids didn't grow up going, hey, let's go play games in church. It it was all, it was about memorizing the Torah. It was about, this is God's word. It was serious. If this is God's word, let's treat it like that. And so when we come together, like, that's what we want to do. We want to memorize. We want to know. We want to adhere to and obey God's word. And and so we can't have a wrong view. We've got to be ever learning and growing to understand God's word and be faithful to it. If we don't know it, we won't obey it. And if we don't have a heart of humility, we're not going to learn more than we know r- right now. In fact, what we know will keep us from what we need to know if we do not have a heart of humility and we don't have a teachable spirit. We don't have a teachable spirit. Let's be clear, though. Jesus is no progressive. All right? He is the word. He is the embodiment of truth and righteousness. Uh, we're not looking at the scenario and thinking Jesus was a progressive. Jesus was the interpretation of the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth. So if he said it, his interpretation is right. If he did it, his way of acting out the truth is right. And so we look to Jesus and we see perfect theology. The Pharisees were not teachable. They were not humble. And the way they approached the Bible was with a wrong heart. Look what Watchman Nee said in his book, How to Study the Bible. I've taught this class for a long time, and I always quote him as saying, it is possible to have the right Bible study methods and still not understand the Bible at all. Friends, it's a... a, absolutely possible. As a preacher, I could preach the Bible a certain way and say, our church is better than other churches because I preach the Bible this way. But it doesn't mean that we know and walk in the word. It doesn't mean that. It's about the heart. It's always about, it's not about the method, it's about the heart. And so if we don't have the right heart, we're not gonna read the Bible the right way. We're not gonna humble ourselves to God and the fruit of the word will not be evident in our lives. We see that in the Pharisees. They're standing in front of Jesus. Look at what they did. Look at what they said. How do you get there? How do you get there? You have a religious spirit and you allow yourself to to, to be hindered from being being teachable. Number three, they had a critical heart towards others. Obviously, when you have a wrong view of God, you have a wrong view of scripture, you're gonna have a critical heart. And there's one There's one thing to think critically and another thing to have a critical spirit. The Pharisees were traveling alongside the disciples and they were watching in the synagogue. Just, they were a traveling group of critiquers. That was their ministry. You know, there are a lot of people today, they think that's their ministry. It's baffling to me. It is baffling to me that there are so many people on YouTube and social media that think it is their ministry to call out all of these other people. Why do we think that? Why in the world would we think that God needs us to have some platform to criticize everybody else out there? Stop wasting our time. I mean, most people don't live the Christian life well anyways, and they spend a lot of their energy to talk about how other people don't live it or say it the right way. God doesn't need us as his internet watchdogs. He does not need that. What he needs is disciples that are fully devoted, humble in heart, and willing to do whatever the word of God says. Uh, listen, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I do not believe that if you have a real vibrant prayer life that you can stay critical. I don't. So when I'm talking with people and they come at me or they come at somebody or something, my first question is, do you talk to Jesus? Because if you talk to Jesus, I don't think you can stay the way that you are. I just don't think, because when you talk to Jesus, he talks back. And even if you can't identify his voice, he starts to send what we call conviction into your heart. And he doesn't agree with you. And if God always agrees with everything that we think, maybe we've made our mind God. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. If God always agrees with us, what does that say? Selah. Amen. Number four, I'm just going to move on. I'm a, No comment, just leave it there. Number four, they had a lack of compassion and love for people. Now, these two points that I'm going to close with, these ones strike me the most. So I'm going to hit them the hardest. They have a lack of compassion and love for people. Look what... You, just read, just think, think with me. Mark 3, 5. He looked around at them, Jesus did, with anger, and he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. Jesus was angry. Why was Jesus angry? Because the people that were supposed to know him the best represented him the least. That's why. The people that were supposed to know the heart and the ways of God, they were memorizing the Bible, they represented him the the least. And they had zero compassion for the people in front of them. They could not see anything but Sabbath breakers. They saw the disciples traveling from one city to another, and maybe they had in their satchel some bread or some food, but they were looking at the disciples and instead of seeing people who were hungry and they were picking the heads of grain for a meal because they were famished and they needed something to eat, instead of seeing people in need, they saw Sabbath breakers. They looked at the man with the withered hand and instead of seeing a disabled guy that has a potential to be healed by the only one that can actually do the job instead of hoping that God might touch him, they were worried or wondering if Jesus was going to do the deed on the Sabbath day. I mean, they lost touch with love for people. They lost their compassion. And how many of you know that can happen? In fact, I think we have been baptized with a loss of compassion over the last two years. Just go ahead and say amen if you know that's true. I really believe that when we go through things and it tests us, we've never been here before, we've never had to go through this before, the enemy will start to rob from us our compassion, which we see fully and completely in the person of Jesus. Love for people. Now, it isn't love without truth. I mean, it isn't compassion without principle, but doesn't the principle lead us to compassion? Shouldn't the truth lead us to a sacrificial kind of love? And this is why for all of us, myself included, we have to look at these scenarios and not just go, man, they're terrible, but go, how can can I avoid being like this? I don't want to be like this, but it is possible that we become like this. I'll tell you why the Pharisees would make an exception to pull one of their farm animals out of the thicket because there was some kind of monetary value attached to that. That's called a spirit of greed. Oh yeah, they had no problem with farmers getting their animals unstuck. They had no problem with uh, people who were going to bring animals that they would sacrifice at the temple that somehow they needed to take care of that. See, they made exceptions where they would benefit themselves. When you start to lose compassion, you will see very clearly that a spirit of religion will start to take over in our minds and our hearts. And what we begin to think about is what benefits us and not what helps others. That's what happens. You don't just get robbed of your compassion and stay stagnant. What you end up doing is seeking to benefit self because something will grow in its place. If we're not pursuing loving others, if we're not pursuing compassion, friends, it doesn't matter what it is that we think about ourselves, but something by default will grow in its place by, by nature of not having that compassion. It will grow, and that is selfishness selfishness is the default of the human, of the human heart. Now you might be saying, and I'm just sort of, uh, I'm thinking you might be saying, you might be saying, Ben, you're really getting hard on these Pharisees. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair. Okay. You don't think it's fair. I'm going to read to you what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Okay. Everybody love Jesus. This is the one we're following. You not following Pastor Ben, we're following Jesus. I want you to, <laughs> so he calls it the seven woes. There's a lot more than seven. I don't know why the Bible says seven woes. There's like 27. Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees that they were hypocrites, but he said it six times, mind you. He said, you're children of hell. Just pause on that for a second. How would you feel if your pastor called somebody a child of hell? I mean, you'd cringe, wouldn't you? Yeah. He said, you're blind leaders. He said, yeah. I've never said this one before, you're whitewashed tombs. It's like you're pretty on the outside and you're dead on the inside. I mean, that is like, I would never be tempted to say that to someone. But Jesus said that you're dead on the inside. Jesus Christ said that. Oh, and this one he took from John the Baptist. He said, You're a brood of vipers. You guys are snakes. That goes back to Genesis 3. Well, you're colluding with the enemy. You lead people astray. And this is, this is the final one. He said, and you killed, and you're going to continue to kill the prophets. The people that are speaking for God, you, you'll kill those people. That's You want to stomp out the voice of God. You don't want to hear what God has to say. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Wow, why? He was angry because they lacked compassion. They couldn't see people anymore. They didn't understand the purpose and the intention of the law, which means they didn't understand the intention of the lawgiver. That, friends, is something that we cannot allow ourselves to adhere to, to go down that path. And the the last thing, I'll close with this, is they had an open door to the work of the enemy. Now, with sobriety of heart and mind, look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might kill him. The Pharisees knew that they could not get away with a religious trial. Jesus was too popular, so they sought a political solution. The Herodians were a minor political party loyal to King Herod. Uh, they were the same ones responsible for John the Baptist being in prison. So they figured, hey, John's in prison. Um, he's the prophet of, uh, you know, he's the cousin. So let's get Jesus to have the same fate. And here's what I want to say as I close, and this is really important. The religious spirit and the political spirit are one and the same. Look at how they came together in this one. The Herodians who sought to control people during that time through political means, and the Pharisees who sought to control people through religious means. They didn't like each other, but they were willing to come together to crucify the Savior. That's crazy. I really don't think a lot has changed when you look, not just, I mean, people talk a lot about our nation, but look at the nations of the earth today. The religious spirit and the political spirit collude together, and this is one of the ways that it grabs people in and it silences the true voice of our shepherd. How do you know that? Look at the fruit. Does it look like Jesus? Does it smell like Jesus? Does it advance the kingdom of God? Does it preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus? Is it willing to give for others? That's what we're looking at today. The political and the religious spirit want to control and dominate people, tell people what to do, what they can do, what they can't do, how to live their life. Jesus liberates. He does not dominate. The disciples were sometimes seduced by this. Remember when they saw people and, that were casting out demons in the name of Jesus and they came to Jesus and said, hey, there's people, they're not from us, but they're doing this thing. And Jesus said, hey, calm down. If they're not against us, they're for us. They wanted to call fire down from heaven, and Jesus said to them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Friends, the people that memorized the Bible, when they heard Jesus, who the Bible says is the word, he's the embodiment of truth, when they heard him who represents the full intention of the law that they've been studying, when they heard the heart of the law in the one who literally is the giver of it, They conspired to kill him. And let's just say it this way, to silence his voice. Because they had given themselves to another voice. When we give ourselves to a religious spirit, we open a door to the work of the enemy. When we give ourselves to another agenda, we open a door to the work of the enemy. And the enemy is absolutely ready to accommodate those wishes, to come in and delude and dilute Whatever it is that we believe. Sure, you can have your religious fun, you you can have your religious time. That's that's fine. You can have a religious spirit, but you can't have any effect on people that don't know Jesus. You can you can't have any effect on people being reached in the name of Jesus. You can't have any impact as long as this thing stays in this five acre acre property here on 348th and 21st half. That's totally fine. The enemy will fully accommodate our our religious tendencies. Not a problem. Not a problem. Let us have a party, hoop and holler, but it can't leave this property because the day that it starts to leave this property, the moment we start doing anything or we literally begin to live this, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. And I'm, I'm saying, when I say the word spirit, you may not know what I mean, but there is something that animates this kind of behavior and activity, this kind of belief system. There's something that animates it, and we've got to test the fruit. When we evaluate the heart of the Pharisee, we have to look at ourselves and say, Lord, have I given myself to any other agenda? Have I given myself to any any type of response or reaction that is not focused on your kingdom? Because eternity is coming. It is absolutely upon us. It is coming. The king is coming back, and he is not going to honor the kings of this world. I am telling you, he is the king and everyone will bow. Everyone. All agendas will be revealed. Everything. We have this incredible opportunity with a new year upon us, and I've been thinking about this, where we can just submit and surrender ourselves to King Jesus and ask him to cleanse our hearts and to look at our lives with sobriety and say, Lord, I just want my life to represent you, and that's it. I just want to do your bidding. I just want to be about you. And these other things that, that cause a rise inside of me, all of that, Lord, I'm asking that you would take your rightful place and help me, because it's a confusing time. It's a test for the body of Christ. We cannot afford to have a heart that calcifies into what we see in the, in the Pharisees, and we want to have fresh humility and surrender today. Let me read to you this final passage before we go. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. You know this verse, but did you know that Jesus said this before this encounter that he had with the Pharisees about the Sabbath? See, the context is everything. He said this before what we read in the Matthews, in Matthew's account. Listen to this. He said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is the thought that I had. Jesus said this, to the marginalized, to the prostitute, to the outcast, to the sinner, but he also said it to the Pharisee. He also said it to the Pharisee. The Pharisee had burdened themselves with these religious tendencies that they themselves could not keep. Jesus said, you put burdens on other people that you yourself cannot keep. Friends, sometimes we become that Pharisee. Sometimes we become that Pharisee. And I believe Jesus says this to us too, just like I believe he said it to them. There was a Pharisee that yielded to him named Nicodemus. There was a Pharisee that was totally transformed by him named the Apostle Paul. Whatever category we find ourselves in, Jesus wants to give us rest for our soul. He wants to give us rest. He wants to speak that rest to us. That's what Sabbath actually represents, rest. I want to give you rest. I want to give you peace. You've got to put down these burdens that you're putting on yourself and trying to evaluate others by. This is not your job. This is not your job. Our job is to walk with Jesus. Our job is to honor the Lord. Our job is to love him and to love people. He, he helps do the rest. He really does. He doesn't need us to do his job. He wants us to do ours. That's it. And he tells us, man, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Guys, you're burdening yourselves. I got you. Just surrender to me. Would you stand? Let's, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. At 2022, it's day number two. Yesterday was day one. But if you need rest for your soul, let's just ask him for that right now. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for rest. We thank you that you're the one that unburdens us. You're the one that takes those burdens off. You're the only one that knows what to do with them. So we give them to you now, Lord. Our religious tendencies, we, we want to walk in relationship. We want to honor your word. We want to honor the work of your spirit. But we don't want to become a people that are just so bent on evaluating everyone else and nitpicking things, losing the purpose of why you've given us your word. I pray, Father, that you would give us such a refreshed and renewed heart. And so we surrender our lives to you fresh, we submit ourselves to you fresh today, and we thank you, Lord, that as we evaluate people in the Bible called the Pharisees, uh, we admit that we can have those tendencies too. Would you take those burdens from us? Would you take those attitudes from us? And Lord, just refresh our heart today. In your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said